Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke, getting down to business. For ourselves and for future generations, a new world order. We check mark ass fucks. We know that the best is yet to come. God bless you and God bless America. You gotta go down the hole. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. The world is fucking burning. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Nikola Tesla is my boy. But we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. Conspiracy. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Mitch Vuk, coming at you with lucky episode number seven of Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. We have a returning guest here today from episode two. On Twitter, he's known as at Gabe Greco. In the regular world, he's just Gabe Greco. He is the pod's financial guru, Bitcoin aficionado, wizard of all things money. I can't speak highly enough about him. Um, Today, he's breaking down the Federal Reserve and how its slimy tendrils have crawled into almost every aspect of your life and is making it a lot worse for you. This episode's chock full of information that is critical for your well-being and your success in life. First, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll get right into it. All right, we're going down the hole with Gabe Greco. He was on episode two, and I got a lot of positive feedback from that episode So we're having them on again. We're going a little bit deeper this time. We're going to talk Federal Reserve and why it's one of the most evil organizations, corporations, I don't know, institutions that have ever uh, been created. So welcome to Pod Gabe. Yeah. Take it off. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to be back on. Uh, This is some interesting stuff we have to talk about. Of all the conspiracy theories out there, this is the one that piques my interest the most. I, gotta, I think it affects us all in such a ridiculously bad way that uh, it's important for me to get the knowledge out to everyone that you're all affected by this scheme and that there's a way to fix it, so we'll get into all that. It all starts with the finances and the banks, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. All right, man, do you want to start with anything in particular? Yeah, um, I guess we can just talk about the the inception of the Federal Reserve a little bit, kind of the beginnings of uh, of how the institution was created. So, I like to talk about this in the context of, of money because the Federal Reserve and really central banks at large are created to solve some problems that arose because of the money that we used to use. So, I recently posted a tweet thread all about discussing what is money. Uh, and that's a very important question to understand as you get into learning about finance, economics, and uh, why Bitcoin is very important. And once again, we'll get to that later. But in that thread, I just detailed, to make a long story short, that gold became money in the world because it had superior monetary traits that facilitated exchange. Uh, It was the best technology to facilitate exchange between uh, any two people who wanted to uh, engage in exchange. But 
as as the world became more globally interconnected, we're talking about like the late uh, 1900s here. I'm sorry, the early 1900s, the early yeah. uh, 1800s, around that time, early 20th century. Um, gold just it, it wasn't useful as a as a global medium of exchange. It was pretty hard to carry around gold bars and things like that from the United States to Asia or whatever if you're exchanging across the world. So that that wasn't really practical to use that. So. What the Federal Reserve essentially did via its creation is it made these paper receipts that were redeemable for gold. Because obviously it's much easier to exchange paper notes that represent gold instead of physical gold itself. So these paper notes that represented gold became money, uh, or they acted as money because they were much easier to exchange. However, this came with some problems in itself. Because all of this gold was now centralized in these institutions, namely the Federal Reserve, which was created in 1913, mm -hmm. we had to place all of our trust in these institutions that they would hold that ratio of the pieces of paper that they issued redeemable for gold to the actual physical gold that they had in their vaults. We had to trust that they would keep that ratio one-to-one. -one. Otherwise they would be completely undermining our trust and they could be able to do some some bad things if they were able to ma manipulate that ratio. Once again, we'll get into that more, but that's what happened at the beginning of the Federal Reserve. That was the whole purpose of it being created, it is to solve problems that, uh, that gold had as global prime money because we wanted to exchange with each other all around the world and we needed a more uh, liquid way of doing that or an easier way of, of trans transporting money between one another. So the central bank stepped in to solve that problem and then from there we get into a whole whole list of, uh, of what happens. I'm with it. Um, now, up until 1933, didn't they keep it where they could only produce as much money as they had in gold? Or, or, or am I wrong? Uh, so... Not necessarily. So if you look at, like, I, I think in um, in one of the threads, it might have been the What Is Money thread that I posted, but if you look at, like, an early $20 bill, it actually has written on the bill that this note is redeemable in gold mm -hmm. at any Federal Reserve Bank. Mm -hmm. So, like, a like a dollar was actually just a repre represented a specific weight of gold in that you, at any time, had the right to go and redeem that money or redeem that bill for what was real money, which was actually gold. Right. In, in 1913, when the Federal Reserve's created, an ounce of gold was worth, what, about like 20 25 30 yes, bucks, they, something they, like they that? Yes, they pegged it at a very specific price. Um, I don't remember the exact ratio, but yes, if, if you can look up just the history of the Federal Reserve note. You can see that it was a, a, very it was a specific weight of gold mm. that a dollar represented. Um, and that's why, you know, we trusted them to hold that ratio of that gold to those to the to the right. bills that they issued we ex we trusted them to the paper literally represented a weight of gold yes yeah exactly it was just the transactional layer built on top of gold because mm. gold was uh it's a very scarce element and we can be very sure that we're not going to mine too much out of it too much of it out of the ground each year relative to its total supply therefore it could be reliable that we know how much of how much gold exists and it's the best thing to 
uh, to stop human greed from taking over basically because no matter how much time you allocate toward uh, producing gold, you know, you, you, we are relatively sure what it's going to cost to do so and therefore uh, it's a good thing for measuring ratios between uh, trading things. And that's, that's the whole purpose of exchange is to communicate ratios of things that we all, that we all have in our minds based on our subjective preferences and we want to exchange uh, things between one another using those subjective preferences. Goal fulfilled that need the best, but it, it, it had some problems that it couldn't, we couldn't exchange it all across the world, as I said, as the world became more globally interconnected. Mm -hmm. uh, to answer what you were asking earlier, though, I do know, I believe it was in uh, under FDR's uh, presidential uh, terms, and he was in there for 12 yeah, years, but I'm pretty years, sure yeah. it was under his, uh, his terms, mm -hmm that something called Executive Order 6102 happened. And this is one of the beginnings of where you see the central banks start to break the trust that we had, that the citizens of every country that was under a central bank placed in them. So in Executive Order 6102, U.S. citizens were forced to turn in their gold holdings to a Federal Reserve Bank at a price that was named by the federal government. This is in '33. I believe so. Yeah. I will. Um, I'll let you know that uh, in a second here, as I'm looking on my Twitter to see the uh, see where I posted that. But anyway, yeah. So they just demanded that you you turned over the gold that you had in savings, regardless of you know, regardless of how you got it, how you attained it, no matter what, you had to turn it in under. Um, I believe it was a several. A very uh, a very big fine, thousands and thousands of dollars of fine or imprisonment. Right, I'm pretty sure it was about twenty dollars an ounce when they did that, which now an ounce of gold is about two thousand dollars. It's almost right. at an all time high. It's and that's inflation at its finest. But um, a question I wanted to ask you yeah. now, JFK, with Executive Order one 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 zero. In 1963, he said that we were going to issue silver dollars and silver certificates that are interchangeable for that weight in silver. It kind of was going to bring the precious metal standard back right. and eliminate some of the Fed's power. And a lot of people say the Federal Reserve and the uh, CIA collaborated to take out Kennedy because of that reason, that he wanted to bring the gold standard back. And I wanted to ask you, is there any uh, evidence towards that? Do you think the Federal Reserve is capable of doing that? I absolutely do think that they are capable of doing that. And we were talking about an organization that is responsible for the monetary policy that basically affects the entire world. If you understand the impact, if the influence that U.S. dollars have in the entire world economy, you understand that the decisions that the Federal Reserve makes affects basically every person on this planet. So I have no doubt that they are capable of doing something like that. Whether whether or not that that was their actual intention or whether they had that planned, I'm not entirely sure, I'll be honest. But um, I do know that that would definitely go against their plans to essentially steal human productivity and human time via the, the schemes that they operate. So... If JFK did want that, and that was his plan to bring back the um, the U.S. economy and our money to that standard, they definitely wouldn't want that happening. So, yes, absolutely possible that that happened. And also, Executive Six, Executive Order 6102 was 1933, so yeah. they had to turn in their gold, man. It's messed up. I know. 
Um, I recently bought some gold. It's a good thing to buy if you guys are looking at investing. Gold's always a good buy. Other than Bitcoin, that's my number one. Yeah. You know. I mean, gold has a yeah. thousands and thousands of years of history as the sound money layer of Earth. Like, we need to... It's, it needs to be understood that the monetary experiment that we are on right now, and this, I guess, can be the next thing that we get into, it, it is only 50 years old. Right. So, after the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, over the course of the next about 60 years... Till 71. Till 1971, exactly. They started to change that ratio of the bills that they issued to actual physical gold. And as they started to break that trust they began to enrich themselves via the scheme that they created on top of gold. So essentially they centralized all the gold holdings and with that ability, like I said, we had to trust them to just issue the bills only redeemable for the actual gold that they had as that ratio started to decline. So originally, like I said, it was one to one. Over time it became five to one, 10 to one. Executive 6102, you had to turn in all your gold 21. It kept it keeps increasing as they keep creating more bills redeemable for gold that doesn't actually exist until it culminates in this thing in 1971, uh, the Nixon shock, when Richard Nixon, it was supposed to be a temporary measure. He was he removed the convertibility of the dollar into gold, and from there on we have just been in a purely what's called fiat currency. That the the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency. And every fiat currency that has ever existed has failed. It is, it's a provable fact that every fiat currency has failed. And if you don't know what a fiat currency is, that simply means that the unit of, um, the unit of economic uh, transactional value that we use, so we use the dollar, that unit simply has value because the institution creating it has a monopoly on creating it. Which they, is the U.S. government. Yes. Yeah. The U.S. government legally enforces you via legal tender laws and um, all kinds of legal um, rig and roll, all kinds, of, <laughs> all kinds of BS that they enforce upon you. They, it's, it's all because they just have a monopoly on monetary policy and production, and they enforce that with a monopoly of, viol of violence that they have. So if you tried right now to go out and start your own competing currency to the um, to the dollar, which, I mean, it's happened before. These people, they, they come in and they shut down your organization. They call you counterfeiters, um, all because they have completely inhib inhibited the free market function of money. So they have a complete monopoly on it, um, and, and they get to enforce those rules because it enriches them. Hmm. Now... Economies go through their natural cycles of booms and busts. You know, it, it, economies can dwindle and economies can do really well. But the Federal Reserve has more control on that than an organization or an, an institution should. They can create these booms and busts. And a lot of people say they created the bust that was the Great Depression. And again, I don't know if you know anything about that. So yeah, I'm not too sure about how the central bank, or I'm sorry, the Federal Reserve exactly perpetuated the Great Depression happening, but I do know that the tool that they use in order to enrich themselves and usually at the vast ex uh, expense of the rest of society, mm -hmm. the tool that they have is inflation. So 
as we discussed earlier, how they the, the trust function of the Federal Reserve was to hold that ratio of physical gold to the bills they issued redeemable for physical gold one-to-one. As soon as that ratio changed where there were more bills than actual gold, that's when we started to, to see the downfalls of inflation. Now, before we even get into what the central banks can do via inflation, it's really, this isn't even a new concept, which is once again why I say that, like, these, these experiments that we, that we're trying with, with fiat currency, this, it's not a new thing, they fail every single time. So, if you look at back even at, like, in the Roman Empire days, the emperors and rulers of that time would periodically take all of the coins from all of their citizens, melt them down, and then reissue new coins that weighed less than the original coin, and they would take for themselves newly minted coins that never before existed, so that they could spend those newly issued coins before anybody else had the opportunity to even do so, or before these people even knew what was going on. Essentially, making themselves richer at everybody else's expense, because now there were more units of value chasing the exact same amount of actual goods and services in an economy. So getting back to the Federal Reserve and how they use inflation to enrich themselves. Well, once again, like this is it's inflation has been advertised by economists and it's all part of like if you go to the best school to get a, an economics degree, you will not hear one word about what's called Austrian economics, which is the field of economics that basically just combines all of the wisdom collected from everybody throughout history into one field of thought and then assimilates that into something that uh, is truthful about how an economy actually works via free market forces. Instead, you get to these higher education places and all they tell you is that the government is basically like an all-powerful deity who controls everything monetarily and that whatever they say goes and that there is no trade-offs to the decisions that they make. So, once again, it's just all part of this scheme that they operate to enrich themselves. But what inflation or what the central banks do with inflation is that they claim that the medium of exchange that people use in an economy has to lose value over time so that more people are willing to spend it. You hear that all the time from these economists is that if we don't have inflation, it's bad for an economy. No, that that's just them. They, they, and they say it in ways too to make them make themselves sound like they're these 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 priests or these high rulers <laughs> or something. They're like the Catholic priests of the old days, right. where if you don't go through them, to you know, you're not going to get into heaven or whatever. They all the jargon that they used. Actually, today the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell was talking about how they're about to ramp up inflation. I, yeah, I just today. Yeah, yeah, just today. Right. About how they're going to ramp up inflation because. Um, of all of these ridiculous, you should hear the wording that they use to try to make you like to make it sound like they're doing something productive or useful when in reality they're they're just enriching themselves. Yep, stealing from everybody else, enriching the few. Yes. Yeah. So like so as we we're going here with inflation, um, sometimes this like inflation can be handled in in a way which to you know not completely ruin everybody's lives, like. When we were when we operated on a gold standard, you know the the supply of gold did inflate each year, but we could be reliably sure of that inflation, and therefore we you know we could trust that there was only a certain amount of gold. Right. How do you know how many dollars there are right now? How do you know how many dollars there are going to be five years from now or ten years from now? You you don't know the answer to these questions because there is a small group of people who have the ability to 
add new dollars into existence and then they get to spend them before anybody else has the ability to do so. And the, the trickle-down effects of that are uh, ridiculous. It's called the Cantillon effect, which is the biggest thing that inflation perpetuates. Anybody who has the ability to essentially create new money at very low cost, they are incentivized to do so because they can just buy anything in the marketplace. It's the same thing as like what the coin clippers did. It's the same thing what happened with slave beads in Africa. This story has been told so many times over and over again, and yet they are trying to just make new ways to, to tell you the story as if they are doing something unique or new and something that's not just completely an engine for inequality, which is all inflation is. So another important point, even with the Fed, is that the Federal Reserve has private shareholders, and this is publicly available knowledge that you can see for yourself if you look in the, uh, the documents that, underlie, or that outline what the Federal Reserve is. They have private shareholders who are unknown to anyone. Nobody knows who these people are, and they collect a 6% dividend for doing... I don't know what nothing really. I mean, they don't they don't do anything, and they get paid six percent of the Federal Reserve's equity assets. I mean, if you look, can I become one of those shareholders? Absolutely not. No, no. It is completely there is no. This is not like a publicly traded company. You can't just go out and buy shares of this thing. These are privately. These are unknown people who have claims to all of the monetary production in this country, and they just get paid out. At six percent, it like it doesn't even make sense, and they tell you that they tell you that to the public. I don't know how that's not more well understood, or how people aren't more upset about that. Well, that's the whole point of this: is to get people to understand and get people upset about it, so more people speak out against it. You know? Yeah, uh, you have to be aware of this stuff. Yeah, that's right. So to not know about this I, is it's a shame that more people don't know about it but they the people who operate these schemes have incentives to not make you or to not allow you to know about these things which is why it's important to do your own research and to and to take the time to look at all sides of an argument or to understand what's going on and the people that are profiting on this probably own the media corporations so they're not going to tell you you're not going to hear on the news that the fed is stealing trillions of dollars from you you know mm -hmm. I do think that we can have a little bit of comfort knowing that in this digital age, information passes around so quickly and that, you know, even just a few people talking about it can lead to a lot of people becoming aware of it. Um, and so I do have faith that, you know, I, I believe that more and more people are starting to wake up to these, uh, to these truths that there are oftentimes a very small group of people who are able to control a lot of the actions of everybody in society to the detriment of almost everybody, whether it's creating division, creating wealth inequality like in inflation, um, and just insinuating people be on opposite sides of each other for the wrong reasons. And so I think it's important to get to the bottom of that, and I think a lot of these problems stem from the evils of, of central banking. Yeah, I mean, money is the root of all evil, and the Federal Reserve creates all money, the U.S. dollars pretty much the basis of the world's wealth not entirely yeah. but pretty and much and see like i think even that like mindset of that that money is the root of all evil we think that because we don't know another way other than what we have like most people that like you you can t you can ask somebody hey how does how does it how does a dollar work you know mm -hmm. where do they come from how are they made um why do we have trust in them why do we believe that they have value 
Most people have no idea. No, yeah, yeah, they have no idea, and so they think that like, so they have a very a view of e money that is evil. Money is a neutral thing. It was a free market force for almost all of humanity, which just means that it is a naturally occurring thing where the most exchangeable good rises to the surface to become this thing that underpins almost all of society where if we didn't have sound money, we couldn't interact with one, with each other um, in, in, a harm, in, in harmony. Like there, there would just be disharmony if, if, the, if the soundness of the money is compromised. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing today. All of the all of the distress, all of the dissent, all of the people disagreeing with each other, the the complete bipartisanship of, you know, you have to be on one side or the other. I think it all stems from fiat currency-based issues because we don't know what sound money is. I can get on board with that. There is a lot of division nowadays where you have to be one or the other, Trump or Biden, red or blue, you know. I don't want to get down to politics, sure. but literally it's everything's trying to put us into groups and tear us down and what we really need to do is come together and build each other up and what's the answer to that gabe yeah <laughs> so all of these problems that we talk about you know i guess one more note i want to make on inflation just to just to be just to be very clear on what is happening here when we talk about inflation the people who can create these dollars, aka the small group of people in charge of the Federal Reserve and in the United States government, they, they operate this scheme together. So the Federal Reserve, while it is a private institution, the, the people in government have an incentive to, to get in involved with them in order to have their needs met. The board of the Federal Reserve has to be approved by the Senate. Right? They have to be approved by, by, by the Congress. Congress. That yeah, is correct. Right. Yes, but it, they operate as a private institution. Actually, you know, their decisions don't have to be approved, but the members that go on the board have to. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, that's exactly correct. So um, it is a fact that yeah, Congress does elect these members. So today, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, in his he he was discussing you know the, all the the Fed's reaction to the coronavirus. And how they were going to handle the situation about how they're going to ramp up inflation. This is a, a direct quote from him. Public faith in large institutions around the world is under pressure. Institutions like the Fed have to aggressively seek transparency and accountability to preserve our democratic legitimacy. Think about that for a second. He just claimed that their organization has to aggressively seek transparency and accountability Meaning that if those things aren't sought after, they will be completely not transparent and have no accountability. Why are those things like that? Why is that necessary to be sought after? Transparency and accountability. Why wouldn't that be something? These people make decisions that affect every single person in the United States and ultimately the world. And it is completely not transparent and, and they don't and they aren't held accountable. How do we have any faith that this institution does the job that it's laid out to do? You should. You shouldn't. Yeah. They operate this scheme of inflation where they get to spend uh, the newly created dollars that they make on actual productive things. So why do you think the stock market has gone up so much despite all of these record, number, record numbers of unemployment and, and basically people staying at home all the time. It's completely and fraudulent. It is entirely fraudulent. They use this money to buy actual claims on productive assets like stocks, real estate, company bonds, uh, things like that, to enrich themselves so that they own the actual productive things while they make everybody else use this cash that continues to lose value over time. And if they do 
what they say they're going to do, ramp up inflation, that just means people are now going to feel the effects of all the money that was just added into the economy without anybody's consent. It's a complete taxation without representation. Inflation is the most insidious form of wealth theft, uh, time theft. It's just an absolutely just diabolical scheme that people need to wake up to and understand what is really happening to them when we talk about inflation. I like that. Yeah. Like Given that. all that, you know, before like before in history, you know, a lot of people start made these arguments. Like, for example, in the early, um, earlier in this century, in the 21st century, um, you know, people talked about, uh, like Ron Paul, for example, talked <laughs> about how how you, we need to audit the Fed. We need he to audit wrote the, Fed. the book and the Fed, dude. Yeah, yeah. he's writing the Big book. Big Ron Paul guy. Yeah, so like all of those, that, that was great to build awareness around these things. But there wasn't a solution to all of the problems that he was talking about. There was nothing that was going to keep the government in check or really just anything to undermine these schemes that they were operating other, other than the like, oh, well, I'll just make people aware about it. Now we actually have a relevant solution that can solve all of these problems of centralizing the trust in monetary policy. And it is Bitcoin. Bitcoin fixes all of the problems caused by fiat currency because it has such a simple monetary policy and it's completely transparent. The complete opposite of the stuff we were just talking about with mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve. It's a deflationary currency, not an inflationary currency. Exactly. And this is a super important, important point to make. Inflation is also not even a naturally occurring thing. As we get better at producing goods and services over time, as we innovate further and, ha and have better ideas about you know, how to solve certain problems, things should get cheaper. We get better at doing things, meaning they take less time to get those things done. We should have lower prices of things over the right. long over long periods of time. You see this in technology. The first television, okay, the people who decided to buy them at first, or like a big flat screen TV or whatever, they were spending thousands and thousands of dollars because it was this great new technology. It was revolutionary, mind blowing. Those gigantic two thousand pound pieces of junk projector TVs mm. are worth nothing now. Uh, the cost of TVs, the cost of cell phones, the cost of computers all go down because we get better at producing them and therefore the older models are worth, they are worth less. It just, it just makes sense. Like deflation is a naturally occurring thing and we, it's purposely uh, stifled due to these institutions, central banks that perpetuate inflation over a long period of time. We should have declining prices. And I think that that is one of the most important um, value propositions that Bitcoin offers, is that due to its completely fixed supply, um, we, can ex we know for a fact what the supply of Bitcoin will be today, tomorrow, 100 years from mm -hmm. now, 1,000 years from now. It is a completely, uh, perfectly known supply issuance schedule. And I think we have not yet begun to understand the power uh, that that idea has. I was uh, on Twitter the other day, and you were talking about how we can look up and see exactly the amount that is in supply right now. Yeah. And going into these other altcoins and cryptocurrencies, I saw people were looking into Ethereum's total supply. And they were going to different places and different sites, and they were getting different numbers. 
So does that just mean all all, all other cryptocurrencies are shit? Like, kind of. It it kind of does mean that. Yes. This is maybe the most difficult aspect to understand. Like, why is Bitcoin unique? You know, why why won't Bitcoin version ten point zero be better than what we have now? I guess um, this is where uh, we can talk about like how Bitcoin even began became a thing in the first place, how it it first existed. So when it was created um, by an anonymous uh, by an anonymous founder, Satoshi Nakamoto is the pseudonym that this person or group of people or whoever goes by. They released the code of Bitcoin into a very small uh, community on the internet. They were called the cypherpunks. They're these group of people who, for many years, have been trying to create a digital cash kind of outside of government control. These are people who are very distrustful of the system at large. And that they use their power of um, programming, essentially, and learning about computers as a way to operate outside of the system. One of their biggest beliefs is that, like, the... the um, Computers and and software is basically going to dismantle the nation state in that they are going to create ways using uh, digital processing uh, in order to subvert the power of the nation state. That's their belief. And so it was purposefully introduced into this community because the whoever the founder of it, Satoshi Nakamoto, he was obviously an active member in these groups as well, but he knew that there was no other way that this asset could have a natural development in the world without being exposed to a group of people who actually understood it at first. So once the first person joined Satoshi's uh, network, created their own node, his name was Hal Finney, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think he is Satoshi. Yeah, he I, passed away, and we'll right. never know. No, yeah, he's dead. But um, mm-hmm. he actually, uh, some of the predictions that he made are pretty insane, like how early on he made these predictions. But anyway, once he joined the network... It was all just a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of from the, from there where Bitcoin continued to gain network network effects as each new person that was introduced to the network made the network stronger overall. So Bitcoin could not have possibly developed this security that it... So right now, Bitcoin is basically the most powerful uh, computer network in the entire world. It is completely, almost completely resistant to being hacked. Uh, one of the ways to hack a cryptocurrency is called a 51% attack, which just means that you need to have like half of the hashing power in order to even have an impact on, um, you know, how the code will change or how you can basically just siphon value from everybody else involved. That would take an insane amount of computing. It would take an insane amount of computing power. And the only way that that ever happened where Bitcoin developed that security was that no one was ever aware of a technology like this before Bitcoin existed. Now that we know that a technology like Bitcoin does exist where it's, where it's um, a technology that has verifiable scarcity, Meaning that everybody simultaneously who is a part of the network knows the exact supply um, with certainty. That is the whole purpose of it, is that um, it is the first, it is the discovery of absolute scarcity. Meaning that no matter how much time we allocate towards Bitcoin's production, no more of it can be produced. And that only works if you are operating on a very secure network where a lot of people um understand it and can verify the code from themselves. If a new Bitcoin were to be produced today, which you can go out and you can fork the code of Bitcoin yourself. I said this the last time on the podcast too. Mm-hmm. Like, Just because you do that, you have an exact replica of Bitcoin. That does not mean that people will, will fork the social layer of Bitcoin. Bitcoins, the power of Bitcoin comes from 
all of the collective people that use it. So in order to present a better Bitcoin, you would have to convince the miners that you are you have a better network. You would have to convince the buyers and holders of Bitcoin that uh, you should have an incentive to use this new coin. And you also have to incentivize the node runners that this this new coin provides some kind of different value or some uh, interesting proposition that makes Bitcoin obsolete. It's not possible because we have already... Bitcoin, the, the discovery of absolute scarcity is a one-time discovery. It can't happen again because now we're all aware it can happen, and it's so much more subjected to, to those attacks that we've been talking about. Yeah, um, there's thousands of people. Do you know how many nodes of Bitcoin there are offhand? No. Is it in the 10,000s? I would say it's around 10,000, yeah. Yeah. So each one of those nodes has a ledger on every single account that has Bitcoin in it, and you can verify against other account, uh, other ledgers, other nodes, what those holdings in the accounts are. So even if there was like an EMP in America and it wiped out all the computers over here, there would still be computers on on Earth that held that Bitcoin ledger. So it would never be lost completely in it, right? Right. Yeah. There are people who. Um, the, it, the Bitcoin uses the, the technology that backs it is called a blockchain, and Bitcoin is the only proven use case for a blockchain. So if you ever hear companies talking about, oh, we have a block, like, no. The, the only known use case for a blockchain right now is what Bitcoin is doing, and it, it is a better money. But anyway, people have copies of this blockchain, which are just the entire list of transactions that have ever taken place on the Bitcoin blockchain. People have these locked away in things called, like, Faraday cages, mm -hmm. uh, where they just have so much cryptog cryptography protecting these things that... Uh, yeah, even the most ridiculous amount of attacks. There's actually satellites, a uh, Blockstream, a company. I don't know too much about the um, the technical aspect of, yeah, of a lot of this stuff, but they have a satellite, which I think its only purpose is to facilitate Bitcoin transactions. So I think that even like if that satellite were still like in, like uplinked or whatever, mm -hmm. that we could still transact Bitcoin. So people are figuring out ways to you know get around even the most dire of situations to help Bitcoin survive for the long term. That's why I'm a believer, man. It'll, it, it's more sustainable than anything else. Uh, do you want to go into a couple questions that our uh, Twitter followers asked us? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we had the previous guest, AJ Vuk, ask us a question. And I actually didn't, uh, I didn't really know about this because um, I just don't, I don't have to pay attention to student loans. But he said, how do you guys feel about student loans being put at 0% interest forever? So... Was that like a mandate by the government that they just said that all interest rates for student loans are now? Right now, until the end of the year, Trump said all student loans have interest is zero and you won't default on them if you don't pay them. And I don't know what will happen after the election, after December or whatever. Mm -hmm. They might go back to that. But yeah, what, what, what would happen if all student loans just had zero interest? Like Yeah. Um this is kind of like I alluded to the education problems earlier uh, about you know how the government is basically tied in uh, to a lot of the higher education and the higher levels of academia in this country. You know they have they have their influence and and they are incentivized to do so to keep you know the schemes that they operate running, and so I think that a lot of like and we were talking about too how inflation stifles you know the natural um, the natural order of deflation where. A lot of innovation is stifled because of inflation. Like the price of education keeps going up for whatever reason. Yeah, for no reason whatsoever. Right. Yeah. The price of healthcare keeps going up. But right now we're focused on education, and like, I th 
it's just becoming blatantly obvious that the internet is completely destroying the business model that higher education is. Yeah. You can learn anything you do in college online. You can Yes. Yeah. Now that's not to speak for like um more obviously, you know, you need to get taught very specific on the job things it higher like job you know like yeah being a doc you can't be a doctor you can't learn to be a doctor online or something i want right. my doctor to go to medical school all that stuff but a lot of education absolutely can just be facilitated over the internet and self-learning is just going to become so big so i guess my opinion about the student loans is that you know they're doing this to to make sure that these colleges like people still want to go to these colleges at is of my of my opinion in that they're offering basically free money and anyway a lot of these colleges like harvard for example if you look at the like the money that they make if you look at what they make on tuition via their endowment fund they are literally they're glorified in like it's just a hedge fund they just invest all of the tuition money and things like that into like they give their money to the, their professors or whoever operates these funds to just go out and invest in the stock market which they know uh, is going to increase in value due to inflation, and they just can they buy productive assets. All the stuff that we've been talking about, they're part of the, the of the scheme that we're talking about. So, um, my opinion of higher education is not the highest because I believe that the internet is just going to completely sub, like destroy all of their power. And so, these zero percent interest loans, I kind of think, is just a way to get people to think that you know they're like, oh, well, I might as well take it out. It's a zero percent, you know. I just mm-hmm. I just pay it back one day. It's all part of this like. It's just more and more debt because, you know, why think about the long term when I can have what I want now? You know, it's it's all this mindset that fiat currency incentivizes and perpetuates, and it's just uh, it's an absolute scam. So learn on the Internet is my is my is my response to this. What do you think? I can agree with that. I think uh, they've pushed us to go to like you're not going to be anything if you don't get a college degree. You know, they, they've pushed that on us all our lives. And I, I do think it's a scam. You can go get a job without a college degree. You can go to a trade school. You can go to an associate's program for a lot of cheaper options instead of taking tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars out in student loans to get a degree. No doubt. There, there's definitely better options. No to, doubt. Uh, One of the coolest ones, I, I, say, I mention this to someone every time because I think it's a fantastic business model. And I think mm-hmm. like um, replicas of this or other um, other areas of, of education will follow this model. It's called the Lambda School. And they teach computer programming i think you can learn about like data science or like web stack development something like that you do not pay a dollar until you have completed their program and you get a full-time job that makes over a specific amount of money like i I think it will turn to that they'll say hey we won't charge you anything until you're making money with our service yeah like that that's what it will turn to eventually i think we're in that time period all right we got another question yeah, absolutely. We have Logan what about DeLuca. Logan DeLuca. What's his Twitter handle? At L DeLuca, which is L D E L U C A 357. L-D-Luca That's our boy. What do you say? What's up, Logan? Logan asked, How do you guys feel about Social Security for those in their 20s or 30s? Can the current program continue as is, or will changes have to be made eventually for people in that age range to get their full amount? Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this one because Social Security's beat. It, um, for us, in like for younger people, we aren't gonna see a dime from Social Security. First of all, I well, I it's also my belief that the we are going to experience a complete uh, monetary policy shift in the world. A Um, global financial reset, one may say. Big time (laughs) reset. 
coming. Um, I think it that um, facilitated by Bitcoin, obviously. But like programs like Social Security, I'm pretty sure it is unfunded after the year. 2030 something 39 I think yeah which means so that all of this like what we have saved is set to run out and then the tax each year I believe only represents like 60% or something like that of what um, we would need each year Mm -hmm. but think about it social security is also subject like this is a whole it's subject to inflation if you if right now say we're guaranteed I don't even know what we're guaranteed to be honest because I don't even account for social security like when I think about the future if we are guaranteed, say, I think people right now get like $1,200 a month. If we're guaranteed $1,200 a month 30 years from now, that's not very helpful because like even if we're at 2% inflation over the next 30 years... It's yeah, $1,200 basically. Not it's a complete loss yeah. of purchasing power. So right. like I don't... Why pay taxes now if it's not going to be worth as much in the future? Right. And Trump just uh, shut down all the federal income taxes all the federal social security unemployment um medicare he he stopped all that yeah yeah so i think we are going through the financial reset as we speak it's not going to happen overnight you're not going to wake up and u.s dollars not going to be worth anything evermore but over the next few years we definitely are going through some turbulent times some changing aspects of our whole society let alone just our money um I hope that answered Logan's question. Yeah. Uh, do we have one more? Yes, last one. Avukic. I, I, I know that name. Yeah. yeah this guy, it's a family affair on this show today. <laughs> so he says, this guy's a Bitcoin OG. He says, AOL took email from a computer geek only application to so user friendly that grandmas could use it when they introduced the iconic You Got Mail. What or who do you think will make this jump for Bitcoin? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting hmm. question because, like, if you were to have asked people back, say, uh, 30 years ago or 25 years ago, whatever, back in the 90s, how influential the internet would be on their lives going forward in the future? Yeah, you know, you probably, yeah. right, you probably, some people think, oh, I don't, like, I don't know, it's kind Maybe of Maybe cool. a little I bit, I love yeah. the David Letterman sketch when he's talking to Bill Gates about, he's, Bill Gates is like, well, like, you know, you can, like, record a sports game. Or and you can and you can um, and you can hear it like on the internet. He's like, well, Dave Letterman's like, well, isn't that what TVs are for? <laughs> and then he's like, well, you can watch it anytime you want to. You know, you don't have to just watch it right now. Well, isn't that what whatever's for? Like every yeah, uh, like, what a tape was, cassette. And like people tape are just yeah, yeah, people are laughing yeah. like at Bill Gates because it was it wasn't very clear how like powerful this technology would be. I think that the internet is a very good analogy for Bitcoin because. The internet, like, once again, it developed so quickly and it became such an influential part of people's lives because of, like, of the immense value that it provides. We can exchange information with anybody on the face of the earth at light speed. Like, it's, it's an unbelievable innovation that, that it completely changed the way we live our lives. And now I don't think you would find a single person on earth besides, like, my grandma <laughs> who, who would say that the internet isn't, like, obviously going to be one of the right. biggest forces in their lives going forward. And I think this is exactly what is happening with Bitcoin. We are seeing it develop as a global prime money. And it's in it's in still in its infancy. It is 12 years old and what kind of like what's I don't, and this is the part just I don't I don't know yet and I don't think we will know just until it happens. Right. Who's going to be that company that makes it mainstream that sparks it for everybody? Yeah, know? I do think that but um I was going to say like how fast is this going to move? Because 
information, like I said, spreads so quickly now that this could be something that, um, you know, we experience in a couple years mm-hmm. or over the next decade. Like, I don't know exactly how fast this is going to, like, happen, but I promise you it's going to, like, it's going to happen fast. As what I, I mean, fast to me. Is, Exponentially, it, yes, for sure. It, and it's just going to keep getting faster. But to name a few uh, companies, I, I think, that are going to have a big impact on how we just view and, and see and it, make it more user-friendly, I guess, is the best way to answer the question. Uh, Square, who is the company, I don't, if you've ever seen, like, the... the transaction you know, service. Yeah, the transaction yeah. service, the Square. Um, yeah, right. Run by, like, the uh, same guy who was, the like, the head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, stuff like that. They are... They're a company called Square uh, Crypto. They are working on basically becoming, like, a Bitcoin bank. And I think that they are really trying to push forward user experience first to make this something that everybody can use with, you know, with, with complete ease. And uh, it'll be companies like that that push it forward. Another one, um, there's this one guy, I find his work kind of fascinating because it's just like I don't understand how he do it. His, name, his young guy's name is Jack Mallers. He uh, ran a couple of companies called like uh, Zap, which are, th- these are, he runs companies that like develop on the Lightning Network which is the transactional layer of Bitcoin. This is an even, like, there's so many, uh, like, yeah, there's layers a lot of layers. Into. But it basically just facilitates transactions for Bitcoin. That's all. It just makes transactions faster. Um, and he has worked, like, he developed something called Lightning Strike, where you can just put in your debit card information into this app, and you can, like, you get Satoshi's, like, immediately. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable that you just, like, there's almost no barrier to, like, entry of these things. And then... It's just as simple as sending and receiving it between like, between one another. I mean, that's the whole purpose of Bitcoin, literally. It's just to send it and receive it between one another. And as we perfect like the, the security of this thing and the user interface of this thing, um, it's just going to be so obvious to people that they need to be using this. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention about this question because I thought it was interesting. He said the you got mail thing. Uh, the, the second thing I thought of when I heard this question was, Bitcoin is so full of memes. That's true. And we live in like we live in such a momentic culture where you know you want your ideas to be boiled down to something so simple that you can say it in a couple words or something so that everybody understands it. Mm-hmm. So I do think that those are also going to play a part in people coming to understand Bitcoin. Like for example, um, Bitcoin fixes this is a popular meme where like people just like you'll you'll see a video like the video of Chairman Powell talking about all these ridiculously you know all this jargon of central banking and stuff like this and you look at a comment in Twitter under it and it just says Bitcoin fixes this mm-hmm. you know to the average person they oh well Bitcoin like how does like why would that fix this and that just is an entry point into the rabbit hole for them because Bitcoin has its hand in like almost every area um, every topic in the world Bitcoin touches it like somehow some way it could make things better and when people say Bitcoin fixes this, like I didn't really understand this at first, but I, I've come to believe it now, that Bitcoin fixes like almost any problem that that you can think of at, is that is a result of fiat currency. And so uh, Bitcoin fixes this is a popular meme. Other ones like number go up or... <laughs> <laughs> moon. Yeah, yeah, when moon. Like my favorite yeah. one is... Pro- and my favorite one is probably Stacksats, which yeah. is just like it's the best way to invest in Bitcoin. And so... I think as people start to boil the ideas of Bitcoin down to such simple topics, it's just going to make so much sense for people. And as companies continue to build and grow on it, it's just going to be it's going to be just like the internet. People didn't understand the profoundness of the internet, and people have yet to understand the profoundness and the power of Bitcoin. Yeah, and with the internet, I think the internet got away from the group that created it. You know, I think the military created it, and they were going to use it to 
control everybody and get everyone's information. You know, I'm sure they're doing that. I'm, watch the Shadowgate documentary. They're stealing everyone's information. But I really think the amount of people on it and the amount of information that is shared every day just through memes. Like, yeah. memes are crazy to get your point across, to get information out there. Yeah. And I really think it's going to be their downfall. I think the elite that are controlling everything, they let the internet get away from them, and it's it's mm -hmm. going to come crumbling down on yeah. them for sure. Bitcoin is definitely a step in the right direction to help facilitate that, that movement. And the reason why is because Bitcoin is open source protocol, which means that anybody for themselves can go in and, and verify that the, the code is working the way that it should be. And like everybody can see that simultaneously. And there are companies who are starting to imp like implement open source technology because it is such it, it, it's it just makes sense like to to have for the trust of your customers. And so I think that a lot of companies are going to get outcompeted by those who decide to put their software as open source, where anybody for themselves can verify it and see what is going on. So it's com like it's complete transparency. Like you can't go in and you you can't look at Google's code. You can't see the things that they're doing with, with the algorithms that they run in and the data that they collect from you, you, you don't get, you are not privy to that information for, because they don't want you to be. And not to say that like Google is going to get out competed or anything, but like it is to say that um, we need to be aware that these options exist like open source protocol for, for better privacy. Um, there are just better technological ways that, um, that we can Im that we can implement into the techno into the software and technology that we use to make it better for everybody that uses them and I think like Bitcoin is just it's going to be one of the examples of that is that open source technology is gonna is gonna kind of eat all of that closed source technology essentially. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see more transparency. Not everyone being shady as fuck, you know. Yeah. Keeping all their secrets, bastards. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's such a shame that uh, you know that we are we're subject to that because you know we didn't no one had like no one gives consent to these things right like, no one decided that yeah this, yeah and so we need to build i guess another thing about bitcoin too that really fascinates me is that bitcoin is like the first system ever where we actually we've accounted for human greed in the equation so when bitcoin was created it, it was it had the idea in mind that like Anybody who can manipulate the supply of money is going to do so in order to enrich themselves. And so if we just take that into account, like this is a possibility that, you know, this could actually happen. Why don't we just remove that function and play a completely different game? Bitcoin is opting out of this complete game and scam of fiat currency where you're just playing a completely new game by a completely new different set of rules where we actually account for um, inevitable human greed. Now, for the first time ever, you can't make more of the money that we use for the first time. And that's going to have such a huge impact that uh, we have yet to completely understand. I hope so. I hope so that we see it soon. I hope it's in, like, I, I guarantee it's going to be in our lifetimes in the next 50 years, 100%. But I really hope it's in the next five years, not we don't have to live this slave lifestyle for right. 20, 20, 30 more years, right? you know. But only time will tell. The world's a crazy place right now. 2020 is popping off. You never know. But I, I think we spread a lot of information here, Gabe. I think it was a good good talk. I think so, too, man. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to, a lot of the resources I use for Bitcoin are, uh, you can find, like, all these guys on Twitter. If you uh, if you dig into 
some of the threads that I have posted, I, I mentioned a few of their people's name, a few of their names. Um, but if you want like one good resource to go read or um, to go gather information from, read the Bitcoin Standard. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a great book. Uh, it outlines just the the main arguments for. Um, it outlines the history of money so that you understand you have a foundation of understanding what actually is money because that is just completely we are completely ignorant to that fact and uh, you can learn a lot just simply by reading that one book and I think it's a good entry point into the rabbit hole because the rabbit hole of Bitcoin is super deep and I hope it, everyone gets into it. It is a deep one. It is a deep one um, that I think everyone should go down. You know, it, it'll lead the world into a better place in my opinion. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. it gives me a lot of hope. Thanks, man. That was great. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it, man. Hey, anytime. Well, that's all we got for you today. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, follow me on Twitter at Mitchell Vukic. We're going to try to get that account banned. So give it a follow. Reply to me. Ask us questions. Reach out on subjects you want to listen to. All that jazz. want you all to stay informed in these turbulent and crazy times it's september 2020 who knows what's going to happen in the next few months before the election and that's about it all right Mulder, take it away you can deny all the things i've seen all the things i've discovered but not for much longer because too many others know what's happening out there and no one no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth